Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're talking all things social media, and this is a big part of my life, both as a creator and a consumer. So I've been really wanting to have a conversation about it. I'm sure that I've touched on it in various aspects. In previous episodes, I believe I did a Q&A talking about my journey. And it's kind of funny because at one point, I was documenting on YouTube. I thought it would be a cool series to show building sort of a business or a social media presence from the ground up. I kind of stopped that because when I started posting on social media and building an audience, I was working full time and I just found like YouTube was really time consuming at the time. I do wish that I would have kept that series going because I think it would be interesting to look back and see the whole journey in its entirety. But luckily I was there and I remember a lot of it so I can kind of share it in hindsight versus real time and then do my best to kind of continue to share that moving forward because I've come a long way and you know I do find that social media is kind of a mystical area in terms of making it a career and that's kind of why I want to have this conversation to demystify that and to be transparent because I found it very hard to find information about things like brand partnerships and you know how to charge and you know so many different aspects of social media that I wish I would have known that I want to be completely transparent about. I am also a big fan of numbers and understanding specifics and understanding, you know, what that journey actually looked like. So I'll share that as well from a creator perspective. And then we'll also talk a little bit about being a consumer of social media and some of the reflections that I have there. Certainly not getting on a high horse here and suggesting that I am the image of mindful social media consumption. I am certainly not, but It is something that I'm always kind of reflecting on how I can make minimally disruptive and not destructive to my life. We'll start off with the creator perspective. Now, this doesn't just have to be for you if you are thinking about actually pursuing a full-time career in social media. This can also apply to you if you're just considering sharing your hobbies or, you know, boosting your business or even getting kind of another stream of income alongside your full-time job, whatever it may be. So 
As I said, I'm someone that likes specifics. I like to understand how people got to where they are. And so I want to try to be as specific as possible. As I mentioned, I had started to document my journey on YouTube and in the description of some of those videos, which are now private, I documented the numbers and where I was at in each of the platforms that I was posting on. So for context, I initially was posting on YouTube. That was kind of my thing. And to be honest, that really wasn't gaining any traction at all. And I had been doing it for a while. And it wasn't until I started posting on TikTok that things kind of started to move. And so because of that, I kind of redirected my energy to what was working, which was TikTok. And that is when things really started to get going for me. And I also enjoyed posting on there a lot more because I could create a lot faster. I could experiment a lot faster. I could get data a lot faster. And it was a little bit lower stakes than YouTube where I felt like I had to put a lot of effort into editing and selecting music or whatever it may be. So let's get into some of the numbers that I have available, which I started documenting this in May of 2021, which is when I started posting on TikTok. And I have a couple of months of data. And then of course I can provide you with where I am now. Okay. So I start posting in May of 2021. That's two years ago now. And I document about two months later where I'm at with each platform. So on Instagram, I'm at 97. On TikTok, I'm at 343. And on YouTube, I'm at 67. Then I do another update another month later. So this is three months from when I started. On Instagram, I'm at 107. On TikTok, I'm at 1,034. And then on YouTube, I'm at 71. So you can already kind of start to see TikTok is growing faster than the other two platforms. Where you really see the difference is four months after I had launched. So four months after May 2021, I have 1,070 Instagram followers. I have 11,000 TikTok followers and I have 89 YouTube subscribers. So in about, you know, one month, I've gone up 9,000 almost 10,000 subscribers on TikTok. And the reason I share this is because this is when I really started to hone in on TikTok as my primary platform. It's where I was getting the most feedback. It's where I was enjoying creating the most. And it was having a spillover effect. The effort I was putting in there was having a spillover effect to other platforms. It doesn't mean that I didn't still value the other platforms. It just means that, you know, I was also working full-time at that time. And I had to be strategic about where I invested my energy. I didn't really capture any of the specifics in between then and now. So between that time, which was about a year and a half ago to now, my following on Instagram is about 7,700. On TikTok, it's about 109,000. Is that right? Yeah, and then on YouTube, it's about 1.6 thousand. I also, during this time in between these two moments, launched my podcast, which I started in November 2021. I was hesitant to start a podcast initially because I felt like it was a lot of effort and because I was working full time. 
I just didn't feel like I had the bandwidth. But then when I left my job, which was around September of 2021, was when I felt like that was freed up to start to work on this podcast. So I launched the podcast in November 2021, started from zero, like I said, and I'm just looking at my dashboard here. On average, I have about 52,000 downloads every month on that podcast now. So I share all of these numbers to give you a glimpse at exactly what my journey has looked like over the course of the past two years. From an income perspective, I wasn't making full-time income from social media until around August of 2022. So in between those two points, when I quit my job around September of 2021 to August of 2022, first of all, it saved up a lot from my job because I knew I wanted to leave. But second of all, I was doing freelancing. I took on a few seasonal jobs. I was doing just a lot of kind of random gigs that will allow me to continue to invest my energy in growing my social media. And then, like I said, from August until now, I've been fully supported by social media. I haven't been doing any really freelancing work in digital marketing or any other kind of part-time gigs, which has been really nice because it has allowed me to fully hone in on social media to give a bit of a breakdown of what that income has looked like because I get that question a lot. It's like, okay, you say you're making money from social media. What does it actually mean? A percentage of it is from brand partnerships. A percentage of it is from passive income from the podcast, which at this point in time is quite small, but still there. For a period I was doing Patreon, I put that on pause for now, but that was a little chunk as well for a period. And then also digital products of my own, like the Notion template. When it comes to brand partnerships, because that's the area that I find the most kind of abstract. I didn't know how to charge for it. When I started getting people reaching out to me, I didn't know how to like navigate contracts. And there was just a lot of stuff that I had no clue what to do because you could potentially be putting yourself in a bad situation if you don't read the contract so you don't know what to look out for, which I did not at the beginning at all. And I didn't really know who to ask because like I said, no one in my personal life was in this industry and I felt embarrassed to actually ask other people. Eventually, I started just dropping that and being like, okay, I need this information so that I'm doing the right thing for myself, so that I'm charging appropriately. What I will say is when I first started off, I was way, way undercharging. And I think that's because I was using those online tools that tell you what your rates should be. And they were very low. So I don't use those anymore. I have combined how I've gotten to the rates that I have now is I've combined what I've spoken to other creators about. I have also looked at what brands have offered me. Sometimes I'll ask them first what their budget is. And then from there, I'll also decide what I feel is fair and measure that against the level of effort that I'm putting in. The thing that I found the most is that there isn't a general industry standard. And it's also different because you're working with clients from different countries like you could be working with clients from Europe versus Canada versus 
the states. And so what their budgets are is going to be vastly different. And so to try to find what you should be charging can be challenging, but that's how I approached it. I looked at people with similar followings to mine. I would network with people like that. I would watch their videos. Sometimes people would talk about it on their things and I would look at the comments. I would listen to podcasts. I just gathered a lot of information and then tried to like talk to people and come up with a benchmark for myself across all these platforms. So what is my rate for a TikTok? What is my rate for an Instagram reel? And so on and so forth. I would definitely say don't undervalue yourself because having worked in marketing and advertising prior to doing social media, it is a very, you are a very valuable asset as a creator and the audience that you've built and you've put time and effort into is valuable. So don't undersell yourself is the advice that I wish I would have had. And if you really don't feel like something that a brand is pitching is fair, you know, either push back or walk away if you can. I've done that a lot. And at the time it's felt very anxiety provoking because I'm not sure if I'm making the right decision. And, you know, there are times where I've kind of needed the the money to be honest and I've taken on things that maybe don't even feel that great it doesn't feel like I'm being valued in the way that I want and sometimes that's necessary but overall I try to work with brands where it feels like there's a really good value exchange and I I've tried to make it a practice for myself to negotiate what is offered to me just as sort of like an exposure therapy and I've just found that a lot of brands are receptive to that because sort of like with a job I feel like they often offer you the lowest that they like they will leave room so if they offer you something like let's say it's a thousand dollars for a TikTok there is wiggle room for them and I usually practice that I usually practice negotiating because it's something that I've been very scared to do in the past and now it's become a very natural thing for me to negotiate and to establish something that I feel really comfortable with even if that involves a lot of back and forth. Another thing that I would have really liked to have known when it comes to brand partnerships is usage rights. This is something that I have been burned about in the past because I didn't know anything about it but basically if you create an ad for a brand you need to know if they intend to use that in paid advertising if they do from my perspective that should be a charge and it should be a specified period of time the reason that's important is because it protects you as a creator. Let's say you work with a brand and then this brand has a really bad reputation at some point in the future, but they have full rights to your content forever. Well, you're going to be attached to that brand now. So it's important to specify a period of time. And also the other reason it's important is because the brand is getting value out of your creation when they're using it in an ad. So it's important that you are receiving the benefit of that value as well. So the way I do it, and I've seen other creators do this, is it the absolute perfect way to do it? I don't know, but it's just kind of a benchmark that I've spoken to people about is 30% of whatever your fee was for every month that they plan to use it in paid advertising and you want to specify what that's going to be. So let's say 
a company wants to run an ad for six months and the original fee that they paid was $1,000. So you're going to charge an additional $300 for every month that they want to run the ad. Again, what that percentage is, is totally up to you. And sometimes I've negotiated with brands based on what they feel comfortable with or their budget. But I think that's really important, again, for the reasons that I mentioned. Another thing is exclusivity. If a brand doesn't want you to post any other brand that could be a competitor for the duration of your contract, then sometimes that can be an additional fee because it requires you potentially saying no to additional work. And there are probably so many other contractual things, but these are just things that I've run into. And the last one is late payment terms. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I had a whole like six month process with a very big company not paying me for six months. And it was a good chunk of money that they were failing to pay me. And my lesson from that was incorporate late payment fees, which means that, you know, just like any other job, you're relying on the money that you are owed for doing your job. And so building in some sort of penalty or incentive to receive that on time can also be very helpful to avoid that situation. Because again, I've talked to a lot of people who have been in this situation where they just haven't been paid and that doesn't just go for content creation. In terms of how I've actually gone about getting brand partnerships, it's been a combination. I would say the longest term and most beneficial partnerships for me are the ones that I actually kind of got the ball rolling by simply talking about the brand myself organically, tagging them every time I was asked about where something is from, and then eventually like reaching out to them and saying, hey, it looks like the interest is here on my page for your brand. Maybe it would be a good opportunity to make something a little bit more collaborative out of this. And that approach has been the most successful for me. But then of course, I have also received quite a bit of outreach from other brands and I myself have reached out to brands. I haven't necessarily found that to be super successful, just cold outreaching, but I have had a few that I've gotten some little collaborations with. My personal goal is to work with fewer brands on a longer term basis and sort of on a cross-platform basis. So I also, in addition to having my rates, I have a package rate, which is you know, if you hire me to do one TikTok and one Instagram and a couple of stories, I prefer that and I give them a slight discount of 10% on that because I think that it's a much more integrated way to introduce a brand to people rather than just a one-off and I find it to be more successful to talk about something more than once, especially with brands that I actually really like. Now, let's talk a little bit about you know, actual strategy, building a following, creating videos that resonate with folks. And what I'll say is I think a lot of experimentation from my perspective is required to get a sense of what lands and what lands for you specifically, what may land for someone else may not work for you. And, you know, we can derive inspiration from other people, but I think 
the longevity aspect and the sustainability aspect is going to be whatever you feel you can sustainably continue to create and that you enjoy. A huge part of my content creation that keeps me going is that I love it and I love the way that I create. It feels really seamless. It feels totally doable, but I've tried to create in a style in the past that I really don't like and it feels like a lot of work and it feels like very demanding and then I stop because it feels like too much and I've really given myself permission to create in the way that comes most naturally to me. It just so happens that it's a bit more of a casual style. It's not super you know, the highest quality necessarily. And it's not, I don't really focus too much on getting the best lighting and doing all really fancy captions. Although I love consuming stuff like that. It's not what I like to create. I like to create what feels very like almost seamless from what I'm actually experiencing, like being a fly on the wall in my life. And I also had mentioned, you know, consuming social media in a way that is minimally disruptive to my life I think the same with creation so I try to film what I'm already doing and create out of what I'm already doing of course there will be things that I plan specifically for content but I I get exhausted when I'm doing too much of that type of thing and I find the most sustainable thing for me is to create out of what I'm already doing. I think that for me, what I'm already doing is quite often pretty mundane. And we'll talk about this in when we get into your comments because someone spoke to this. But for people who are like really good at something, I just think this is such a natural way to start to create content is literally to just set up a tripod. It doesn't have to be fancy, but to just film what you're already doing if you want to. If it feels like a lot of extra work and something that you really don't want to do, then that's totally fine. But if you're wanting to get started, I would say for me, it's the best strategy for me is just to start where I already am and not to try to add on to it because again anytime I perceive something to be a lot of work and to be really hard I'm not going to want to do it so let's say if you're a knitter just putting a tripod and just filming what you're already doing not necessarily needing to do more than what you already are and then just creating something of that and for me being really open-minded as I'm going about this process to listen, I'm just going to take some shots. I don't know what it's going to turn into. That has resulted in some really cool, fun creations for me. So I try to go about it in that way, in a way that's very seamless and natural, but I can still make something really fun out of it. When it comes to actual strategy, so the logistics of posting, the timing of posting, the captions, the hashtags. Now, I really used to focus on these things a lot and I don't think it's a bad thing I actually don't really think about these things at all I have a strategy more from sort of a wider lens of how I want to show up as a creator and how I want to connect with a following and build an audience in a way that is sustainable and long-term and where I'm building real connection because I think that that is a more effective way to one connect with people to get them to really connect with who you authentically are versus some posting strategy and it allows me to just be myself and ready to pop the question 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, I think that that is a lot more effective for me. So I don't really pay attention that much to posting strategy but with that said I can look at some of the things that I've done and recognize that there is a strategy behind it so having kind of a loose structure of what I know works well but then allowing myself to be really creative within that structure and really allow myself to just experiment and play around everyone always says that consistency is really important I would agree with that but I don't necessarily think it has to be like X number per day. I think it has to be what feels sustainable to you that you can not get overwhelmed by. I felt that with the podcast at first. And, you know, it's great if you can post 10 TikTok, TikTok excuse me, a day. But if you're not going to be able to sustain that, then it's not really of value to you and going to support you long term. So, Again, I consider this with my podcast, what feels doable, what can I show up for, and that just so happened to be one per week. You can always play around with that if you just so happen to have more capacity in the future, but for me, that feels really good for me. TikTok, I don't really have that type of expectation on myself because I find that my my availability to create on TikTok ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's once a day, sometimes it's more than that. But like I said, for me, it's more important to consider what is sustainable for me than the actual like this many times a day, this many times a week. But the reason that I think consistency and not just like consistency in the frequency, but in the sort of style that you post and in your visual identity in a way is because you then kind of become a natural part of someone's routine. I think about people who post, you know, like let's say Emily Mariko. I think she posts like every day and it just becomes sort of part of the routine to seek out her content. And 
the fact that it's quite consistent in the way that she presents it means that you just kind of know what you're getting each time and that's sort of nice. With consistency though, especially visual consistency in the way that you present your ideas and you know, share your creativity online. I think for me, there is a fine balance between consistency and rigidity. And I really am not someone who can keep posting one format of video, even if it's doing well, over and over again. An example of this is I had made a video a while ago about, I think it was like when you put on Sims music and then you clean your apartment. And that did better than any video I've ever done before. So I made a couple more videos in that same style and same format. It did really well. Best performing content that I ever had, but I have this thing, maybe you have it too, where like when I'm done, I'm done. And I also had that with a series about trying new things. That's what I was doing for a period of time. I was making videos about going out and trying new things and conquering my fear of embarrassment. I got bored of that and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue creating in that way. So I pivoted and I think that's another really important thing is not being afraid to pivot and know when something isn't working for you and seeing yourself as sort of a power source and a battery and very valuable and important to your whatever it is that you're doing. And if you're not feeling inspired and you're not feeling good especially with something like content creation. For me personally, I'm only going to be able to keep that up for so long. I recognize the attachment to keeping things going that maybe I wasn't feeling as inspired to continue to create came from a place of lack where it was like, if I pivot away from this series that has been so successful, there's not going to be something new that can be equally as successful. I found that that isn't true. If I take myself and my creativity into a new avenue and I invest myself into that, it can be just as successful as the previous thing, if not more. And honoring my need to pivot and to switch it up and to keep it fresh, if that makes sense, because I get very stagnant if I'm forcing myself to create in a way that I'm not feeling anymore that really has helped me. And, you know, if I hadn't listened to my desire to pivot, for instance, when I was trying YouTube and maybe not gaining a lot of traction, I wouldn't have ever tried TikTok and taken off on there and built a career from there. So I've learned to really honor my desire to pivot and keeping that balanced with that kind of undertone of consistency and whatever you're seeing from me. Another thing that I kind of keep in mind, I was giving this advice to someone recently, and this is just from my perspective, is if your aim, let's say you have a business or you have, you're an artist and you want to promote your work, is like almost assuming that the first, like every single post is the first interaction that someone has with you. So, you know, if you're posting a video, a TikTok about promoting your clothing brand or your music video like assuming people don't know what you are doing and you have to kind of handhold a little bit because I feel like TikTok is trying to push always to new audiences and so you have opportunity of a great opportunity to kind of introduce yourself every time you post now I wouldn't be overkill about this but if you are like, I just think making it clear what you're talking about and what you want the person to do, especially if you're, let's say, promoting 
a product or a business or you want them to do something because of your video, I think making that very clear is important because there is so much information coming at you on these platforms and it needs to be clear what it is that you want that person to do. We've talked a little bit about, you know, being a creator, what that journey has looked like for me and some of the things that I've found to work well in my experience. Now, again, this is my own personal experience. I could probably talk about way more strategies and stuff, but I feel like whenever I'm overwhelmed with that type of information, it becomes overwhelming (laughs) and I don't want to do it. So I think the nature of my way of approaching things like social media or anything new is I just have to try. And that has probably been my biggest lesson. Experimentation, being willing to put yourself out there, which yes, can be embarrassing, can be cringy. I've said this in previous episodes. Take it from me, I was so embarrassed to post anything, even if it was just a photo, let alone a video. But I've gotten to a point now where that doesn't matter. The fear of embarrassment is too low a cost. Wait, I'm going to mess this up. The, The ability to be creative, live a lifestyle that I want, to show up every day, to connect with people, and basically to be a creator online. And the gratitude I have for that position, it far outweighs the fear of embarrassment of posting. It's not worth it for me to respond to that fear. I can still feel it and I still do. And I am mindful of that. And I try to do whatever I can to make myself feel safe. But at the same time, to not allow myself to move forward because of that fear, which is what I've done in the past, I've now been able to see the cost of that and it's too high. So I think the only way for me to move through those fears is to do the thing that I'm afraid of. I can take it at whatever pace I feel comfortable doing it with, but that threshold will increase and will expand. And sometimes the first step is just to put yourself out there and see, hey, I'm actually okay. And I'm actually safe. I wanted to talk a little bit about consuming social media. And of course, we're all familiar with some of the detriments of overconsumption of social media. So I feel like I don't need to get into that too deeply. I myself have experienced varying degrees of addiction to social media. And, you know, even just... Like I've been doing this thing when I've been reading lately to recognize how many times I want to go on my phone, I want to seek out more information, I want to validate something and just challenging myself to not need to do that in the moment and treating it like an addiction has been very helpful to just notice those tendencies within myself and you know, to be aware of that pattern and to be aware of the compulsion I feel to check my phone, to check my social media, to scroll, to notice the hours that I lose, even when I just intend to go on to check one thing, the rabbit hole that we are all probably very familiar with that really doesn't take a lot. And that seems to happen very unconsciously, but you know, I really don't think that I need to get into that in too much detail because I think we can all we're all pretty familiar with what that feels like. The reality for me though is while there are certainly downsides and I can see that and I can appreciate that, I have really been able to experience some of the positives of being a consumer of social media. And I've talked before about how at a point in time in my life, I felt like every single thing that I did in my 
spare time had to be productive, had to be contributing to my growth or whatever it may be. But I've learned to just allow myself to have times to unplug, to be entertained, to enjoy consuming social media and the reality is I do enjoy it I know my thresholds I'm very familiar with what it feels like to over consume and that threshold is going to be different for everybody and the signs of overconsumption are going to be different for everybody for me it's like I kind of get the ick I'm just like I don't want to look at this anymore I don't want to see anything anymore I also feel myself getting irritable and you know very just kind of scattered because I think the information is coming in very quickly. So I'm very familiar with that and I think it will always be a balance. But at the same time, allowing myself to have those times where I enjoy consuming it and not feeling guilty about that. And, you know, there are a lot of good things that I've gained out of consuming social media, whether that's connecting with people, feeling seen through people's experiences, getting ideas for recipes or gaining information. That's how I found out that I had sleep apnea actually. So I do think that there's a responsible way of going about it and gaining data on when that is becoming detrimental to our mental health is really important and finding strategies to be able to disconnect. I will often set little challenges for myself and I find that helps me to reset so for example for a week I'll try to avoid going on it let's say between certain time periods I will be honest that I don't usually stick to that but sometimes the little detox helps to reset and start fresh and yeah I think that's just always something that I'm going to have to be mindful of that balance because the nature of it is of course very addictive. Okay, let's read a couple of your responses in the anonymous submission. Again, these are always linked in the show notes, but also I post on Instagram a prompt the week before I create an episode. I always have such a hard time reading these. I don't know why. Reading things aloud, I always stumble over my words, so apologies in advance, but this person said, the addiction is real. I deleted Instagram for a couple of months earlier in the year and found my thumb would frequently hover over the app button, over where the app button used to be on my phone. Eventually, I found other ways to occupy my time than scrolling. I re-downloaded it last month, and the first thing that hit me was the volume of ads. Every third or fourth post is an ad trying to tell me I'm desperately in need of something, and unsurprisingly, my spending has increased since reinstalling it. Okay, I want to speak to this before I read the rest of their response, because it's kind of in two parts. I totally know what this feels like, this feeling of being sucked into the marketing aspect of social media and even when people I find especially on TikTok are organically talking about like I just got this mascara or whatever it may be I am so I'm such a gullible consumer at times and I find myself convincing myself a lot of the time that I need something that I actually don't which is a testament to how powerful social media marketing and advertising can be. Now, of course, I can't deny the fact that I am in that position of being a creator and posting ads. And so I think it's important for me to talk about this and address this. The first thing I'll say is as a creator who will post ads, nothing I ever post is something 
that is an absolute necessity. And, you know, I will say that I only will work with brands that I resonate with, but nothing I ever post is a necessity. You have to remember that every creator that is posting an ad is getting paid to do that. It's their job. So imagine you were like watching TV and you saw a commercial and, you know, let's say there was an actor in a hair product commercial. For whatever reason, that isn't as enticing, but it is sort of a similar transaction. You assume that people are choosing brands that they actually like and that they actually value, but at the same time, remembering, for me, this really helps me to remember it is a job, just like any other job. And I often will actually avoid brands that I see a lot of influencers talking about and not really anywhere else are they spoken about. Because again, I think these people, it's it's a job just like anything else. And remembering that every time I feel myself sucked into wanting to buy something that's something that someone is promoting is very important. For me, I'm actually not as susceptible to like paid ads as I am to just people organically sharing, hey, I got this jacket that I really like. Hey, I got these shoes that I really like. They're not being paid to say that, but I see it. I'm like, I need that. Even when I don't even like what it is that they have. And I think it's a practice to be able to withdraw myself from that narrative. And my mom was actually talking about this with addiction to thrifting and finding good deals and this like dopamine hit that we get from making those purchases and finding those deals, I really have to interrupt that. And it certainly is challenging when you're consuming a lot of social media because you're being hit with so many different pieces of content that are involving material items. The second half of what this person said is you know, just to refresh, they said that they deleted the app and then got it back. So they said, it's a tricky thing to balance. Not having it, I felt out of the loop, more so with friends who live abroad that I might not speak to as often, but I still want to know what they're up to. But then having it again, I have noticed my self-esteem dip and I'm spending more money and procrastinating, procrastinating a lot. So this kind of comes back to that balance that this person is speaking to of, I get value out of engaging from social media by being able to see what my friends are doing, by being able to keep up with friends who live abroad. And that is a valid thing. That is a valid reason to want to use the app. Now, when it comes to the kind of downsides of lower self-esteem and spending more money and procrastinating a lot, those are also very valid downsides. And finding ways to notice the patterns of behavior that lead to lower self-esteem. As an example, I, as a creator on social media, notice my self-esteem dip a lot when I'm comparing myself to the performance of other people. And it may sound really simple, but I actually unfollow a lot of people. Even if I really like what they're creating, if the feeling is jealousy, the nice thing is... I can sort of remove that from my feed until 
I'm able to kind of build up that confidence and and maybe take that offline and explore why I feel that jealousy. And so sometimes I feel like it can be a good way of noticing what my triggers are and then doing what I can on social media to remove that from my day-to-day consumption while also doing some self-reflection on why that is. And if possible, curating my feed in such a way that I'm not constantly coming into contact with this thing that is lowering my self-esteem. Another person said, how to post consistent content when you feel like your life isn't glamorous enough to film, but you like being creative. This would very much apply to me. I actually created a series at one point called The Mundane Diaries, speaking to exactly this, where I was like, I want to create, I have so much creativity, but I feel like day to day, I'm not really doing anything special or luxurious or glamorous, but, and I don't want to have to go out and do those things in order to be a valid creator. So I kind of had this experiment where I was like, I'm just cleaning my apartment and I'm just going to share that. And honestly, through having experimented with that format and not really creating anything special necessarily outside of what I'm already doing I think that like there's a space for everyone sure it's nice to sometimes watch someone going on a luxury vacation but I don't want to always be consuming that some of my favorite vloggers are people who literally are doing very little and I'm just like a fly on the wall in their life I find that actually very interesting and I actually like to see less curated content and I do believe that maybe things are trending that way as, you know, lifestyle create uh lifestyle content becomes more the norm. So, I would say play around with that and speak to that in your content. You know, that's what I did. I was like, I don't feel like any of this is interesting. Maybe you can relate and a lot of people did. And I think the more important thing is relatability versus like glamorization. Okay, because I'm kind of running out of time, I'll do one more. And this person said, I have a fear of posting and getting zero likes. It feels humbling and embarrassing. Don't we all? I still do. I still have this fear and it happens. Like it does happen. Even being a full-time creator, a lot of the times content will flop. And, you know, I kind of just try to think about it in terms of like successful musicians, successful artists. Not every single song on their album is a hit and that's okay. But if they stopped creating because not everything was a hit, you would just prevent yourself from ever putting yourself out there. And it's a very valid fear. Listen, it doesn't feel good. I can't deny it. It doesn't feel good to put something out there and put effort into something that isn't getting the reaction that you want. But the only real way to navigate and to get over that and to move through it is to just do it and be like, okay, I posted this thing. It was a little embarrassing. Nobody liked it, but here I am. I'm still alive. I'm still safe. And you know, you may be surprised by what happens. I think sometimes the thing that stops us from putting ourselves out there on social media is like, what if nobody likes it? But again, it's just as likely that people will. In fact, like, why do we assume that people aren't going to like it? That was me on TikTok. I was like, I was pleasantly surprised, but I went in with the expectation of like, no one's going to watch this. And so again, allowing yourself to be pleasantly surprised and just having kind of no expectations of what can happen, but 
an understanding that you just as likely may be surprised. And if the only objective for doing things is the validation, which I get, it feels good and it helps you to build your audience. It's an important factor. But if that's the only intention, I just don't feel that that would be a sustainable way to continue to create. Anytime I've been overly fixated on numbers and metrics, I've lost the joy and the just desire to create. So to the best of my abilities, I try not to even pay too much attention. The attention that I try to pay is feedback. What do people like? What are people resonating with? But other than that, I really try my best not to focus on that and not to tailor myself to necessarily what other people like. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope that this was somewhat informative wherever you are in your social media journey. And if anything was unclear or if anything didn't make sense, I know I kind of just like jumped around a bit. Let me know, submit an anonymous response or send me a DM, whatever you feel comfortable with. And again, that form is always there for you if you are interested in submitting something and yeah with that i will leave it for today and i'll see you next week hey it's paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 